That was awesome. I won't even begin to tell you how uh, unable that would be me up there. <laughs> we'll just say the one time I did, Kelly was very graceful to me. <laughs> Thank you for, for sharing, choir. I really appreciate that. Um, you can stand for the scripture reading. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, starting in the first verse this morning. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. All right. It starts verse 1, says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat and for them to come and to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he, saw that he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him, and all his companions, because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. and God, for your presence here amongst our body, for the hearts of thankfulness that you've just sown within us. Today as we sing, just how great is our God, how wonderful and how worthy you are to be praised this morning. You are the giver of all good things, the father of lights. God, you are the shepherd of the sheep. Lord, you see us, you know us individually, and you call out to our hearts, God, to come and to follow you, knowing, God, this truly brings our hearts rest, contentment, joy, and just the abundant life that you have made us to know. Lord, we pray that we would... Just see from your word the worthiness of following your name, that we would leave everything to follow you, to see those who you laid on our hearts to see, and to walk with those who you called us to walk alongside. In your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, thank you again, Charlie and the elders, Bernie Bible Church, for being gracious to allow me to preach and to share what the Lord has put onto my heart. Uh, in these last couple weeks, it's something that I've been um, thinking about as, as how I can encourage um, you as, as, as well as myself uh, in the different areas of life you're in. Obviously, we, we all are in very different uh, stages of life, not only stages, but you know, what you do on a daily basis, whether that's on the weekend or you know, on uh, the working days. We, we all find ourselves in very different places, yet I believe with the same heart, the same goal, the same mind, the same faith. As, as Scripture says. And so I hope we can all find ourselves 
in what God has to say through us this morning, um, say through the, his word uh, this morning. Now, most of y'all probably don't know my father-in-law. Uh, that's partially because he lives in Canada, doesn't make it down very, very often. But uh, my father-in-law, I, I met back in 2012, and I had experience with him that, in my, upon my first time meeting him, that really characterized a lot of my experiences with him as, as I go back up there and, and visit with him. Usually, we come up there on a, a weekday because it's a little bit cheaper to fly, and we usually go, one of the first things we do is to go visit him at his office. And so, back in 2012, uh, that was Jules' plan for us to go and visit her dad, meet him for the first time, and we went to his work. He's a steel manufacturer. Uh, that's about all I got for you. I can't really tell you much more than that. He makes farm equipment. It's completely outside of anything that I know or was raised with. And so I walk in there in this big, massive shop. It has over 100 employees. And he started this company years ago with just two of his brothers. Now it's grown into this massive industry. They ship all around the world farm equipment. And so I'm already a little bit intimidated, you know, meeting Jules' dad for the first time and you know, going to his work, this, this company that he has built, that he started really with his own two hands. And we go in there to, to meet him and talk with him, and uh, he's not in his office. And he's the financial end of all the company. Uh, he does all the numbers, all the hiring, the firing. He's crunching all the numbers. You know, are we making money? Are we not making money? You know, how do we make money in order for this business to succeed? And so office job, he's not in his office. And Jules, when she knocks, she goes in. She goes, oh, he's not here. And it only means one thing. He's out on the floor with the other employees. And so we go out. We have to put hard hats on to go find him. And he's out amongst the employees, and he has all, all these guys, grungy jobs, steel manufacturing, all this equipment, and he's out there learning about this new, huge piece of machinery that just came in from, like, Italy or something like that. It basically makes holes in steel. Big deal. But he is right there because he wants to know everything, all the ins, the outs, about this one piece of machinery. That it was almost every time we go visit him, we have to go onto the floor to find him. Even though he's the boss, he's you know the one of the three head honchos in charge, he is always amongst the workers. It's always encouraged me to find him out there, you know, getting his hands dirty, learning about it, showing the other guys, hey, this is how you know this company runs. Everyone is an employee, including myself. And it starts, he knows that, it starts with him to be an example amongst uh, those that is under his charge. And I've learned something from that just so um, important, even just my time at his hill and just in, in ministry, is that titles should not define our actions. We should not do something based on the title of what we have or, or the position of what we have. You know, he's the boss, but he knows that he, first and foremost, is an employee of this business. And by, he, he knows that leading well starts by being both. He needs to be the boss. There's times where he has to be in the office. But there's also times the employees need to see him working amongst them as an example, as an employee with them as well. He leads best by being both. So with that being said, I believe this morning what the Lord's put on my heart to share about involves Peter... And it involves this dichotomy of Peter's life, this double-edged sword 
of calls that he received in his life. So starting at the beginning, Luke 5 is the, the first call of Peter. And then what I want to end with today is in John chapter 21. So you can already put a bookmark, uh, your finger there. We're going to flip over there and see one of the last calls that, that Jesus makes to his life. Very similar, almost the exact same account, almost verbatim, but two different calls. And how being both and, and really walking in both calls is, is um, I believe, what the Lord has not only for Peter, but for us as well, because it's an example of who Jesus is. So put your finger in, in John 21, but we're going to just work through a little bit here in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 5. Now, there's a large crowd that's gathered around Jesus. Why? Scripture says because they were listening to the word of God. Jesus' ambition, he has come to seek and to save that which is lost, and his one singular ambition is to proclaim God's word as the living word of God. He's teaching, and there's a large crowd that's gathering to him, so much so that it's beginning to, you know, the circle's becoming smaller and closer and closer. People are, like, you know, drawing closer and more further in. And realizing this, in order to be able to speak to all the crowd that's gathering, right now he's a pretty limited amount of people can hear him being encircled by this crowd. He says he sees a boat, which was Simon Peter's, and he gets into the boat and asks him to set him out into the shallow water, knowing that water naturally amplifies sound. It's like Earth's natural megaphone. You know, if you've ever been fishing on a quiet lake, I grew up fishing on the Gulf of Mexico. Not quiet, right? Windy, usually breezy. Uh, you don't usually see another boat inside because everyone has their spot. You know, it's a big gulf. So when I went to Canada and I started fishing with Jewel and her dad, we went on a little bit smaller of a lake, quiet, still. The fishing, you just literally drop the line in and you just sit and you just wait. It's quiet. It's actually peaceful there, unlike the Gulf of Mexico fishing. And uh, I always remember just hearing, I mean, from probably here to where Todd and Rachel's house is, I could almost hear every word of a conversation of another boat out there. It was so weird. That had never happened anywhere else. But that water amplifies sound. And so Jesus, in order to speak and for, for all the crowd to hear what he is saying, he goes into the water so that his words may be amplified for all the crowds to hear. And he takes with them the owner of the boat, one who is just washing his nets, Peter. And this is Peter's boat. This is his livelihood. He's a fisherman, right? He needs this in order to make money. This was you know, more than just borrowing someone's car. You know, this was way more. Something would have happened on this boat if he would have done something. For really the stranger that he doesn't really know all that well, this would have put Simon Peter in big trouble. But as he's washing his nets, he's also been hearing Jesus speak. And so he allows Jesus to come into his boat. He sets him out, and Jesus begins teaching the word of God. Matthew 7, something I appreciate about when Jesus is speaking to the large crowds, he's talking right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that when Jesus, when he is speaking God's word, when he is proclaiming what is true about God's word, it says there is always a crowd listening. There's always a, a crowd that's growing listening to what he is saying. And Matthew 7 takes note of that and says that the scribes and the Pharisees notice that this is one who is teaching having authority, not as one who was a scribe or a Pharisee. And there's, a, there's a contrast there. 
Jesus, who is teaching as one having authority, and people are like, whoa, this is unique. This is unlike anything we've ever heard. Because it's not like the scribes and the Pharisees. So how would the scribes and the Pharisees teach? They would regurgitate, basically, just information. This past Pharisee said this, and this person once said this, and this person once said this about God. And they just take what someone else had said and just say it in their day, in their time, and for whoever is listening. It was nothing new. It was nothing personal. It was nothing real of their knowledge of God. It was just purely informational knowledge about the law that someone else had said at one point in history. Jesus' teaching, one with authority, one with wisdom, one with understanding, because he speaks everything that comes from the Father's mouth. He says all that the Father has him to say, from his oneness, from his unity, from his relationship with him. It's real, it's inviting, and this is what is really persuasive teaching. It's not teaching out of a commentary set. You know, not just teaching what someone else received from the Lord, but it's us opening up God's word. Jesus, speak to me first. God, speak to me through your word. Make this real in my life that I may share it with others. Right? If we're just taking a commentary set, if we're just taking what someone else said, we're just regurgitating information, and we're no better, really, than the scribes and the Pharisees. Real, persuasive inviting, I think God-honoring teaching is us first coming to God's word in our own individual oneness, relationship, and union with him, and God speaking through us through his word. I think this is what really changes uh, those who we are speaking to. I was, at a, I was once invited, I shouldn't say invited, I was, I was told that um, I was going to go to a farm trade show out in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. Brooklyn, and whoever's listening from Canada, it's for you. Jules' dad uh, told me I had uh, just flown up there. It was, it was the summer that we were being engaged. One of the first things I do, I fly in from San Antonio, and I fly out the next day from Manitoba to Saskatchewan. He asked me to go represent his company and to uh, yeah represent this one product that they're selling. It's called a V-Wing Ditcher. Now, I've already said, I know nothing about farming. I grew up in the suburbs of San Antonio, Texas, right? I don't know the first thing about agriculture, land. I don't know what's a lot of land. I don't know what's you know, not a lot of land. And I don't know what a ditcher is. You know, I imagine it makes a ditch. But so what, right? Like, that sounds almost bad. Like, why would a farmer want that? So anyway, he flies me out. I say, you know, I'm the worst person to do this. But you know what? I love Jewel. I love you. I love this family. I'll do this for you. So he said to me, I guess he thought it would be a good time. I'm not sure. It was cold. It was rainy. And I'm out there as a greeter to try to bring people in to look at this massive, like, three-ton piece of metal, steel, that makes a ditch that a tractor pulls. And so I'm out there. I'm greeting people. And, and they gave me kind of the 411. This is what you need to say. There's some talking points. This is kind of the, the main thing of... You know, what, what's about this ditcher? I'm okay, okay, I'm tracking. I'm like writing notes on my phone. And these guys, you know, that they, they farm for a living are coming and they're asking about this. And I'm just like, well, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it weighs this much. Um, you should probably get it, I guess. You know, if you need a ditch. Do, do you need a ditch? Do you need it? Yeah, okay, yeah. I think you should get it. You know, yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> but it's good 
from what I've been told. <laughs> right? From what I've been told is great. Man, I happened to be there on the weekend that the inventor of the V-Wing and the primary salesperson of the V-Wing was also there. This is one of the biggest sales shows and, and trade shows that they do in Canvas, in Saskatchewan. That's all they do there, this farm. <laughs> now, I learned very quickly, my place was really not to tell them about the V-Wing, because I'm just regurgitating information that really means not a lot to me. Actually, nothing to me. I've never even seen this in action, you know? My place was to go and send them to the man who knew it. Send them to the one who invented it. Send them to the one who has seen this thing in action. He built it with his own two hands. He knows what this thing can do, and he knows why you need it. That was my place. I learned that very quickly. There's a massive difference between me just saying something about something and me knowing something. It's a big difference in the church, but us just telling people about God and really talking to people about who he is here. And this is what Jesus wants Peter to come to know personally. So after he teaches the masses, teaches the crowds, it says that he turns and he speaks to Simon Peter in verse 4. When he has finished speaking, and Peter would have been there listening to all the words Jesus says, literally, a, probably a captive audience at this point, literally. He turns to Peter. He says, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, again, this is interesting. This is uh, very illogical, actually, of Jesus. Uh, it would have been very common knowledge if you fish on the Sea of Galilee that, one, you don't catch fish in the deep water. You catch it in the shallow water. And you don't catch fish in the day. You catch fish at night, all hours of the night. You stay up all night to fish. And yet it's daytime. He says, put us in the deep. And this, would, and this was Jesus, who's not a fisherman, right? Raised the son of a carpenter. This, this would not have made sense for Peter. Here's, but I think Peter, who's heard a lot of what Jesus has to say, this is, you know, what, what he said is not exactly known, but I think this does influence his answer. Simon says, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we've caught nothing. Master, I think it's a, it's a phrase that he uses here. I think seeing that Jesus is a gifted teacher, a gifted communicator. Obviously, crowds are following him to listen to him. Um, the crowd is still watching this scenario happen. They probably haven't left. They see them ask him to put out into the deep water. They want to see what happens. And so reverentially, I think he says, Master, this is not going to work. And I've worked hard all night to make this work. And I've got nothing to show for it. But something that Jesus said to that crowd would have caused Peter to say, but I will do as you say. The way, it must have just been the way that Jesus was speaking about who God is, about the word of God, would have influenced Peter so much to go against what is natural to him in his profession as a fisherman to say, there's no reason logically for me to trust you, but... I will do as you say. You know, his, his nets were empty at this point. There was not even a fish that Scripture records of Peter. 
This is one of our first interactions with Peter in the Harmony of the Gospels. Uh, we don't know too really much about his background, besides that he's a fisherman, older in his years. But I think the empty nets show us a lot about his life. I think the empty nets really show us a lot about where he is with the Lord. It's empty. His life is like these nets. Empty, unsatisfied, unable to meet the needs that are around him. John 15, 5 says, He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think Peter in this moment recognizes this. I can do nothing to meet the need of where I'm at right now. Right? It is empty. I have nothing else to lose. This is my life. Empty nets. But I will do as you say. So he is you know, a captive, captively available to the Lord. And now his availability has moved into obedience. It says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break, so much so that they signaled to their partners to come and help them. When the partners came, they got the fish in the boat, the boats were beginning to sink. I mean, just the, the terms in those couple of verses are meant to show us this wasn't just a little bit of fish. It's not like, like wow, we, that was nice, that was a good catch. It's abundant. It's far more than they ever not only expected, but, I mean, their boats are sinking due to the quantity of fish that they've received. It's the complete contrast of an empty net. It's one that is breaking, overflowing. Not even the boat can seemingly contain the amount of fish that were caught. Now, this passage is so dynamic. It has, it's so good. It has so many potential applications that you can take from it. A lot of different ways to go with this. But the application and sermon that I think God has put on my heart to, to share with you is really about Peter's reaction and Jesus' response to that reaction. You know, in, that, in that moment of hauling fish, so much so, my first reaction, grab my phone Instagram live. Here we go. <laughs> Like, can you believe this? This guy, Jesus, woo, you zoom in on him, right? The fish that's being caught is enormous. That would be my response. Excitement, joy. I mean, fish means money, right? No fish. You go to the market, no money. You, you really are not having a livelihood. A lot of fish, woo, a lot of, what a, what a day, winning the lottery. That's not Peter's response. That's how I would, I think I would respond. Peter looks at Jesus, falls at his feet, and he says, leave me. Go away, Lord. I am a sinful man. That's not what I expected. But I think he shows us in this response something that we should respond with, something we should expect in our relationship with the Lord and I think Peter's first reaction, initial reaction is this, go away from me, Lord. I'm not worthy of this goodness and grace in my life. I had empty nets. Like, I didn't even come with you with a little bit. I was just a guy on the shore washing my nets. Washing nets just so, because if you didn't wash the nets, they'd break the next day. All right, I'm just trying to keep myself afloat here. I'm just some guy, some fisherman, and you've called personally out to take my boat and to bring in such a quantity of fish for me and my partners. I am not worthy of this goodness. 
I'm not worthy of this grace in my life. Yeah, have, we, have we been there with our relationship with the Lord where we've just stopped before the Lord to say, God, wait a minute. There's been so much goodness that you've given to me. If I'm honest with myself, I can just look around me right now, just take inventory, take account for what you've done in my life, not just today, yesterday, the years before that. I'm not worthy of this. If I'm honest with myself, I'm not worthy of this goodness and grace. And it's an accurate statement. We're not. In of our flesh, we, we do just have empty nets. We don't have anything that we brought to the table to say, to barter with God and say, I, I'm important to you. It was God who has made us. God who has formed us in our mother's womb. It was God who knows us, who is God who has designed us. It is God who has sought relationship with us. And we were not worthy. Scripture says we are enemies of God, dead in our trespasses and sin. And that's what makes His grace and goodness so beautiful, unlike anything else we've received in this world. Because we weren't worthy even a little bit here. We were empty, broken vessels. And I think if we start with that point today, before we get to the, to the next two, if we start with that point, we are not worthy of the life that God has so sown into us. I think this will change the outlook or the perspective that we meet these next two calls with. So first and foremost, that this was a life that we were not worthy for. And notice that Jesus' answer is not one that says, no, 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 Peter, Peter, you are. Peter, you're great. Peter, you're a ton of fun. You're an awesome guy. Like, you got some great things going for you. And I'm about to make it better. I'm about to make you Peter 2.0. Right? He doesn't, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't puff up his flesh. He says to him, do not fear. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. So he doesn't puff him up, but he gives him a command. This is what you will be. This is what I am making you to be transforming you to be. It's God's initiative in our lives. It's God who initiates this. He says, you will be catching men. It's the common phrase we've heard probably growing up in the church, being fishers of men. When I was in high school, I was in FCA. I, I played soccer. And then uh, when I realized that I actually don't play soccer, I, I play the bench every single game. My senior year, I decided I, I'm done with this. <laughs> this it's fun, it's fun practicing, but it's not fun to not play. Uh, and that was just the high school I went to, and so I got off the team. But I was still somehow invited to be a leader in, the, in FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I wasn't an athlete at that point, technically, by title, but they still wanted me to be a leader on it. And we were given these shirts that we were to wear every Tuesday in high school. It says, follow me, right? And from this verse and, and the whole theme, what we were taught, we taught us, we're going to be fishers of men. I had no idea what that meant. I wore the shirt. Every Tuesday, I was a leader. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no relationship with the Lord at that point. Different story of why they even asked me then, because I don't even know. You will be a fisher of men. Apparently, this was not an uncommon term to be used in the ancient Near East. This would have been known by the Greeks. It would have been a phrase that the Romans even would have used. 
And it was meant to, to say you were going to be to, to seek and to persuade men by catching them with the truth. We're going to catch people with what is true. The Greeks would have used it. The Romans would have used it. But now Jesus is using it. And he uses it in a very different way than what the Greeks and the Romans would have used it as. What's interesting is that, you know, when you're actually out catching fish, or I should say when you're out fishing, because you don't always catch fish when you go fishing. That's why they call it fishing, not catching. Thanks, Mom. She always told me that every time. When you're out fishing, hoping for a catch, right, you take and you cast your line, you get a, a fish on your reel, you reel it in, and it's a live fish until you put it in your bucket, right? And then over the course of the day, the fish turns upside down, and the fish goes dead. So you've caught a live fish, but the end point is its death. But what Jesus' command is, is that we are to be going out to a lost and dying world, catching dying people, persuading these men and women walking in death to catch them and to bring them with the truth of God to life. So it's the opposite of what, you know, actually fishing is. And this is Peter's command by Jesus, to go out into this world and to, by teaching, by sharing what God has done in his life, to win souls out of the darkness of this world and into the light of God's kingdom. To transfer those from death to life by sharing, by teaching, by communicating all that has been sown in his life. I can't help but to think of David's psalm in Psalm 51, verses 12 through 13. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. So God initiates. He restores to us the joy of our salvation. He sustains us. So he doesn't just start the work, but he also sustains us the willing spirit, so that our response may be going and sharing, proclaiming, teaching transgressors your ways and sinners that they may be converted to you. This is an incredible call. And it's not just for Peter, but it's for the church. That we are to be going out and not going out and looking, okay, who needs, who's walking in darkness? Who's the worst of them all, right? But as Peter was, just available. Available to the Lord, and then to be obedient when God says to speak. Be available, and to be obedient, to know that this, is a re- this should be a reality in our, our lives, that we are sharing the testimony, right? It's what a witness is. We are sharing the goodness and grace of God that has been true in my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who has saved my soul. Not about him. Let me tell you about who he is. He says this is really what is going to persuade. This is what's going to be attractive to a world that is lost and dying, who he is. So it's a privilege. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. Because again, we weren't worthy of our own salvation. Right? And so it's a privilege, not a burden, to be available to the Lord and then to be obedient with whoever it is the Lord brings before us. And it's his business, guys. He will bring those 
who he desires to hear to you. It's not that we have to go out and, and look for him. It's God's business, right? As we are made available to him and we are obedient to share by the people who come into our life, he will be faithful for that. It's our business just to be obedient, to live and walk by faith and believe that he is worthy to be proclaimed. Now we get really, you know, I think within the church, within you know, different denominations, and even uh, within you know, good churches, good denominations, we can be so, I think, enraptured. Okay, I need to go out and share. I need to be an evangelist, right? And I, that's, that's not what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying to each and every one of you, you all need to go out and just purely be an evangelist. Because Peter has a second call on his life. And it's at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And that's where we flip over to John chapter 21. It's a big account. We're not going to work through all of chapter 20, 21. There's a, there's a lot there. We're familiar with this section of scripture that is after uh, Peter has denied Jesus three times, after promising that he wouldn't. God's word is true. He does. Peter's heart was broken. He was weeping in sympathy. But... Peter saw the empty tomb, right? John makes sure we know that, that both of them, when they heard that there was an empty tomb, both of them ran. John faster than Peter. Peter, though, when he got there, barged in. Both of them saw the reality that the tomb was empty. Jesus was risen from the dead. They remember that Jesus had told them back in uh, Matthew and Mark that he would meet them at the Sea of Galilee, and so they go, and we find them in John chapter 21, fishing. Again. And out fishing, they're not catching. That's why they call it fishing. They're skunked again. When one calls out from the shore, children, he says in verse 5, you do not have any fish, do you? I guess being too far away to, to see exactly who it is, they answered and said, no. Period. No excuse, just no. And, they, and he said to them, this is Jesus, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. Again. Again, this is almost verbatim Luke 5, what he says. Cast your net on the right-hand side. Now, on that command, John turns to Peter and says, it is the Lord. And Peter's response this time? Verse 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land. But they were dragging a huge net of fish. Luke 5, go away, Lord, I am a sinful man. After being redeemed, restored, salvation sown in his heart, that he was not worthy, yet God gave abundant grace, abundant goodness. Now when he sees it as the Lord, he says, I am desperate for him. I am desperate for his presence in my life. Throws himself, I, like, I love the terminology, you know, it's probably not a pretty swan dive. It was probably a really ugly just catapult off the boat, belly flop into the water and just swimming for all of his might to get to the shore to be with Jesus. That should be our response to Jesus. After being people who are unworthy of his salvation, 
and yet he has given freely and abundantly, we say, my only good is him. There is nothing good that I have on earth besides him. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 73. He says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from me will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I have to be with him. And this is just an awesome reminder for us in the church, what the presence of God means to us. Does it mean this to you? You is, Is he this worthy? Is he this valued of our life? Do we need him? Would you say that in your life, that I, I need Jesus to, in my day, today life? I need his presence in my life. Or we say, yeah, it's good when I need it. His presence is valuable when I'm not doing well. This should be our, the daily response of Jesus. And by that response to Jesus, this availability, this desire to be with him, says this, I, I really think this is what it means when he says, follow me. And they left and followed him. It means it's, it's, a, it's a desperate, it's an all I need is Jesus. This is what following him looks like. More than just an Instagram like, more than just a click on a phone, more than just you know seeing what I want when I want to. All that I am and all that I need be Jesus. Jesus invites them for breakfast, tacos, some, some fish tacos in the morning. And they come and they dine, they have fellowship with him. It says the disciples were there, but then Jesus turns to Peter. Again, it becomes individual to Peter, right? The three times Jesus says, do you love me? All right, it's in the, the contrast and from the three rejections of Peter, it's the three confirmations, the three restorations, a lot of words used that could be used there. But the point is three times, do you love me, Peter? Three times Peter says yes, with the last time Peter saying, Lord, you know that I love you. And it's true, right? Jesus wasn't asking these questions because he genuinely didn't know. Right? That was not, it's never why Jesus asked questions. He asked questions more so for the one who is listening, the, the responder to it. It's for Peter to affirm, yes, Lord, you know, I do love you. And then three times he says to him, then tend or shepherd my lambs or my sheep. It's a command to lead, a command to disciple, a command to be with God's people. He says, he says my sheep, right? my lambs. So this is, these are God's people. This is his church, his body. He says to lead my people. So, does that call to disciple and teach God's word to God's people then overshadow? Does it take paramount to the first command? To be a fisher of men? To be reaching and, 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 and going to the lost and dying world? And be catching them with the truth? Is this the replacement command? No. No, this should be both practiced in our lives. We should not be so caught up in the title. 
I am a discipler, and that's all I do. I'm with God's people only. Or, no, I'm an evangelist. I'm all about reaching the lost, and I really don't participate within any kind of actions within the church because I'm for the lost. Right? We, we get so caught up on the title, on the gifting, on the call, that we remember, I'm sorry, that we forget to remember that Peter was called to be both. Peter was called to be both because Jesus was both. Jesus is both. Right? Jesus is the one who has come to save, to seek and to save that which is lost? Absolutely. But he is also the head of the church. Right? He is also the one that has walked with the disciples intimately. He taught them intimately and encouraged them in their hearts. He was both. Now, leading may look very different. It may not be through a title. It may not be through a position. It may not be through a plaque on the door. Right? Titles don't always necessarily mean you're qualified now to lead. Right? Scripture, and, and it's Peter himself that says in, in uh, Peter chapter 5, and he's talking to elders there, he says, but first and foremost, lead by example. Lead by example. And that qualifies, I think, for every one of us. Every single person in the church. That we are to be as fisher of men, available and obedient to the people that God brings into our life. And it, it may not be every day. It may be you know, very sporadically. But to be asking the Lord, is there people in my life who don't know you that I may be a witness, that I may share my testimony with? But also being available and obedient to come alongside the body, to remember that we are a part of this body, each and every one of us. At Bernie Bible Church, yes, that's the local, but as the church capital C, right, around this world, that we're to be encouraging, equipping, and sharing the spiritual gift with one another and to be a blessing for each other and to not just get so narrow-minded, I can only do this, I can only do this. But we live in this dichotomy. We live in this balance. But it first starts with being available to the Lord. God, who is it today that I may share Jesus with? Because both the lost and the saved, what do they both need? Jesus. They, we both need Jesus, for our salvation and for our sanctification. I'm available, God, to be obedient for who I can tell people about you, who you are in my life, the goodness and the grace that you have saved me from. That may be a testimony. Whether that be in that moment as a fisher of men or in that moment as a shepherd of the sheep, as one who is leading and encouraging and guiding into what is true. And I, you know, to be, to be honest and, and fair with you guys, this is something I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with. You know, I work at His Hill. We have Bible school students that almost come that always want to know about Jesus, right? Discipling is in the very nature of our name. But that does not disqualify me from going and sharing about Jesus to those who don't know the Lord. And it's something I, I've just been struck with recently more, more than ever. Um, going around di doing different outreaches in comfort just seeing Jesus' heart, it is also that this world may not perish, but for all to have life, right? And I have a testimony. We have a witness. Whatever our calling, whatever our gifting is, but to be living this dichotomy of both. Because again, it's who Jesus is. He is, as one man once said, he is our plumb line, he is our standard, 
He's not a pendulum. Right? He doesn't just sway back and forth to one or the other, but he's the standard. He is the one balance of life who perfectly holds being a fisher of men and being a shepherd of the sheep. It's, this is our, our role in this world as a church. I just want to finish with this. It's, 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 it's the word that Jesus uses in both accounts. Follow me. He says, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Follow me. You will be a shepherd of the sheep. My exhortation at the end here is that we would follow Jesus. That we see him and we'd be desperately in need of him, his presence in our life. And by following him, you will share with those who don't know the Lord in God's timing, in God's way. And that by following him, you will encourage, you will be example, and you will lead well in your life. That could be at home. That could be in your job. That could be as a boss. Or that could just be as an employee. That could be in the body here. It could be as a student that we would lead well by loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and truly following him. This brings both to Jesus, and this is God's heart for this world, that his son would be magnified and known. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the example of Jesus. God, as we look through his life, as we look through your word, as we look through the hearts of disciples and and we see through your word, you have given us specific and unique callings and and giftings. But God, you have also seen the big picture of this world. And God, you have shown us a beautiful example in Jesus. And I pray that we would be following him. That it would first start with us just opening up your word and coming before you with a heart, God, that wants to know you personally. God, that you'd be speaking and giving revelation and transforming our lives so that we may give a testimony, give a witness, God, that you are good. You are good in all your ways. Your will is perfect. God, and may that testimony reach those who ears who, who don't know you. May that testimony reach ears who do know you and that need to be encouraged that your will is good and perfect. God, most times we don't even know where people are at in their life with the Lord, but we know that all need you myself first and foremost. And God, may we live out of following you. May we love others by following you, God, and may we lead by following you. May we speak well by following you first and foremost. We commend all this into your name, Lord. Amen.